Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. What a beautiful, beautiful morning. It's been such a joy for us to have our daughter, Madison Grace, home for these uh, last Sunday for Mother's Day and again today and leading us with the team. <clears throat> and um, I can't get, you, get too used to it. She's going back to Nashville tomorrow, tonight actually, but... Um, Anyway, what a beautiful, beautiful time. Well, um, last week we started our new series called Red Letters, which is um, the words of Jesus in Scripture. We are studying the teachings of Jesus, um, and I had the, I've had the honor of kicking us off with the, the Beatitudes, um, which is how Jesus began the famous Sermon on the Mount. We find this in Ma- uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I encouraged you last week, I uh, gave you, I really didn't call it a homework assignment, but now I'm calling it a homework assignment. So if you weren't able to read the Sermon on the Mount this past week, man, dive into it this week. It's so powerful. Matthew chapters five through seven. Um, and so we are going to dive into the second half. Last week, we went through the first four Beatitudes, um, and I'm going to recap that briefly. Then we're going we're gonna to dive into the last four, the second half of, of the Beatitudes. But first, I wanted to play um, this clip. Um, someone said to me last week, have you seen... Um, how many in here have watched The Chosen? Okay, so, so powerful. Um, Pastor David and I need to catch up on a little bit. We saw season one, and then we haven't seen the rest. So I'm like, we're doing that this summer. But um, someone said to me last week, have you seen, have you watched The Chosen where Jesus um, shares the Beatitudes with Matthew, with his disciple Matthew? And I said, no, I haven't watched it. So I found it this week on YouTube, and and it's such, it's so beautiful, so, so powerful. And I wanted to share it with you today as we kick off um, this message today, okay? So they're going to dim the lights up here, and we're going to watch this. Matthew. Matthew. Bye bye. I've got it. The opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions. Where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. Mm. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes. But how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. <laughs> and then? You are the salt of the earth. someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. This is the map, the map to find Jesus. I want to be one of those people. I want to be someone who carries these virtues, these attributes. Last week, we established that the Beatitudes are the distinguishing marks of the children of God. We are to be known by these virtues, no matter the period of history in which a follower of Jesus lives, no matter the color of our skin, the continent we live, the, the language we speak. A follower of Jesus, a child of God, is to be marked by these virtues. In the first four Beatitudes, which we looked at last week, there is a definite progression of spiritual awakening and transformation that the Lord emphasizes. The first four show our deficit. They show what we lack and how desperately we need God. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First, there is a discovery of the fact that I am, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. I must have God. 
Poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is a conviction of sin. Jesus is talking about here the mourning of our sin. And, and then even the sin that is around us. Scripture says even the earth groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Even the earth knows that, that it is out of joint. Um, and so, so we are to mourn. We are to repent. Um, conv- there's a conviction of sin and a consciousness of guilt producing godly sorrow. Third, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a renouncing of self-dependence and a taking of my place in the dust before God. Meekness. Jesus is our greatest example of meekness. The only time in scripture that he described his own heart was in Matthew 11 when he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is our great example of meekness lived out. The fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Following the first three beatitudes is this intense longing for Christ and his salvation and becoming more like him, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And the promise is that we will be filled. We will be satisfied. And so these next four beatitudes um, are the manifestation of the transformation in the believer, the fruits of a new creation and the blessings of a transformed character. So let's look at the fifth one. Matthew chapter five, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So let's, let's first establish what this beatitude is not saying, okay? Um, this beatitude is not saying that we obtain salvation by our works. It doesn't mean that by showing mercy, we merit the mercy of God. That, that, would, the, 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 that would negate um, the, the, it would overthrow the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. So what this is saying, though, is that the showing of mercy is evidence that we are among those who have received God's mercy. And having been the recipient of God's great mercy, I cannot help but show mercy to others. So what is mercy? We all have an idea. We kind of, we know what mercy is, but mercy defined is another word for the love of God. There is an English Puritan preacher named Thomas Watson, and this is what he said about mercy. He said, the mercy of God and our mercy towards one another is not merely love. For love is a friend who visits you when you are well. But mercy is like a physician who comes to you when you are sick and tends to you. 
Mercy is the love that is seen in God and then in his people that reaches out to the broken lives all around us in order to bring healing and restoration to them. Uh, Jesus talks about mercy in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we're going we're gonna to look at it and read it. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Let me hold my Bible and read it. Whoo! Yes, Luke chapter, I'm in chapter, there we go. Okay, I was looking in chapter 11. It's chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, he's talking to Jesus here, obviously. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wants to be sure because he don't want to, you know, have to love everybody. He wants to, like, Jesus, can you clarify who is my neighbor? <laughs> Jesus replied with a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. And bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus says to the man, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and do likewise. An important note about this story is that the Samaritan was the least likely of these three passers-by in this story to show compassion to the man in trouble. Because if you're not aware, just like when Jesus um, spoke with the, the Samaritan woman, at the woman at the well, 
This, there was racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so for a Samaritan to stop, you know, the priest passed the man by, the Levite uh, passed the man by, but the Samaritan, the good, the good Samaritan showed mercy to his neighbor. And we are to do the same. So your neighbor may not look like you think your neighbor's going to look like. Your neighbor may not live where you think it could be your literal next door neighbor, somebody, but God surprises us sometimes, right? About who he puts in our path that we can show mercy to, that we can show love to. When we are merciful, the promise that Jesus gives is that we will receive mercy. And this points to the principle of sowing and reaping that we see in Galatians chapter six. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Or as Jesus said, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17 says, The merciful man does good for his own soul. Scripture says that God delights in mercy. In Micah chapter 7, verse 18 Uh, Micah said, God does not retain his anger forever. Thank you, Jesus, because he delights in mercy. The prophet Isaiah said of the Messiah who was coming, a bruised reed he will not break. Jesus said of himself, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad that when you were at your lowest, God didn't leave you there? He didn't say, you deserve that pit you're in. You should have made better choices. But instead, he bent down to pour in the oil and the wine and to heal and restore us. And we have this beautiful promise in scripture that says his mercies are new every morning. So every morning, this Sunday morning, May 21st, we woke up to new mercies from the Lord. And he longs for all of his children to have hearts that beat with the same love and mercy as his. I know sometimes it's more difficult to show mercy to those who are the closest to us because those who are closest to us can hurt us the most. (laughs) So a question for us today is who do we need to show mercy to today? Season your life with the mercy of God that looks at men and women in need. And instead of pushing them away or passing them by, let's draw them in and bring healing and restoration to those around us. I told them I was going to need my own personal tissue box today. So, (laughs) okay. 
I think I've already cried off all of my mascara during worship, so, um, oh, Jesus, you're so good. All right, the next beatitude that we're looking at, what is this? This is number six. Remember, these are the transformative beatitudes. We're becoming like him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This purity of heart that Jesus is talking about is not, only, not simply referring to a cleansed heart, which we know, um, actually, Scripture says when we come to Jesus and we are born again, he gives us a new heart. Scripture says he removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. But this isn't actually what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is referring to an undivided heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. The definition of pure is this. Unmixed with any other matter. Pure. Unmixed with any other matter. Now, Jesus, he's talking, when, as he's teaching these Beatitudes, he's talking to his disciples who are Jewish. And the Jewish people were a pure race that were set apart for God. So, and they knew all about external purity, all the laws in the book of Leviticus. Um, they knew all about external purity and keeping the laws that were laid out in the Torah. But now Jesus is speaking to them of an internal purity. Purity of heart, free from divided affections, singleness of heart, no idols. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. I want to have a pure heart. As I was studying this week, I was thinking about moments um, when I've been shocked by uh, the news of someone's sin. Have you ever been there? You've just been like shocked by Maybe something, maybe it's a, a, a Christian leader, maybe it's someone near and dear to you that you had no idea that this sin was going on in their life and it's uncovered. And um, that, that sin, that mistake, that dark decision that changed everything started out as mixture. It started out as divided affections, but it grew into something that took over a life, a family, and a future. I remember our, our former pastor, uh, Pastor Mike Hayes, I remember him teaching about the difference between weakness and wickedness. He's, he said the, the root word for wickedness is wick. Like a wick on a candle, a wick is twisted fibers. 
He said, you can have a weakness, which is something you struggle with, right? A sin, a behavior, a habit that you're struggling with. And that, that is mixture. But there is a point when our weakness, if we don't surrender it to the Lord and allow him to do a work in us and bring freedom to us, there is a point at which our weakness will become wickedness. I want to be pure with no mixture. Completely set apart for God. And I just want to say, if you're here today and you've got something you're struggling with, he is more than able. We sang it today. There's no, who are, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Let me tell you, we have seen transformation and deliverance in the lives of people. And so if you're struggling today, don't keep it in the dark. Find someone, maybe it's a prayer team member, maybe it's an elder or pastor in this house, maybe it's someone that you, that's close to you personally who has a, has a strong walk with the Lord. Find someone that you can share it with and they can pray with you and you can be accountable to them because there is freedom. Jesus has freedom for you. I want to be pure with no mixture, completely set apart for God. Did you know that that is the definition of holy? Set apart. That's what holy means. The Hebrew word for holy means set apart for God. So it doesn't mean having high morals or being the perfect Christian. Holiness is not just compliance to rules. Holiness is being holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, dedicated to God for his use. I was talking with Lisa Lyman this week through direct message on Instagram, and we were talking about the beauty of holiness, the church coming back to an understanding and a revelation of what the beauty of holiness is. God told his people in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. God is holy. His holiness is not just one of his attributes. It is actually who he is. Uh, The angels are right now around the throne. They're singing holy, holy, holy. They're not singing love, love, love. Or, um, you know, any other attribute. They are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So if holy means set apart, and for me to be holy means I'm set apart for God, then what is God set apart from? God is unique, different other and distinct from everything else that exists. God is unique, different, other, and distinct from everything that exists. So if we're trying to figure him out with our natural mind and compare him to maybe a great dad that we had or a great husband that we have or, or... it, 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 he is completely other. Yes, yes, yes. 
A.W. Tozer said, God is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. That's why we had to have a savior. That is why sin cannot stand in his presence because he is holy. It just simply can't happen. So that is why Jesus, uh, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made when we're covered in his blood, God sees us through his sacrifice of his son and we are accepted. We are holy through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. We can come into his presence. God is unique, different, other, and distinct from everything else that exists. So as I was studying this this week, I was seeing this connection between holiness and being pure in heart. I am made for one thing. I'm set apart for one thing, and that is for him. My heart is undivided. I'm set apart for him. And what is the beautiful promise for those who are pure in heart? They shall see God. Jesus said, when the eye is single, the whole body is full of light. When we are undivided in our hearts, we receive the light of revelation of who Jesus is. We see him rightly. We hear that phrase a lot in some circles. We want to see you rightly. When we have a, 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 um, a, when our eye is single, our whole body is full of light. We can see Jesus rightly. And yet, again, we see that these beatitudes have both a present fulfillment and a future fulfillment. Because the Apostle Paul wrote, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But there is coming a day when we will see him face to face. And we look forward to that day. Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. He said, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him (laughs) as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see, see God. How many in the room want to be pure in heart? Undivided. God, we're after you. That's our prayer. The seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So, as I was studying this week... I was reading this commentary and it said, note that Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace lovers or the peace keepers, but blessed are the peace makers. 
The Jews in general regarded the Gentile nations with contempt and hatred, and they expected that when Messiah came, under the Messiah's rule, there would be attacks made on these nations until those nations were completely destroyed and subjugated to the chosen people of God. This idea was no doubt based on what they read in the book of Joshua concerning the experiences of their forefathers. But do you see how different the spirit of the new economy is, uh, of the kingdom of God? And how beautifully it connects. Think of the song that the angels sang when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus is the prince of peace. Before he ascended, he told his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus came to bring salvation and to reconcile all of mankind back to the Father. The Apostle Paul wrote, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote in Colossians chapter one, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All that was lost in the garden of Eden, all that Adam and Eve lost, Jesus came and restored. And we have been reconciled. Those who come to this truth and believe uh, on Jesus Christ to redeem them, we, we are reconciled to God. And we have peace by the blood of his cross. So having entered into the peace that Christ made by the blood of his cross, we should now be zealous to be used by him to bring others to know this same peace. So like Jesus, the firstborn of many brothers, we are now called to reconcile people to God through sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what being a peacemaker is. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God in the book of Ephesians, and he includes peace in that full armor. He said, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In Romans, he said, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we see this correlation of being peacemakers to carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of peace to the world. And the promise is that when we are peacemakers, we will be called sons of God, daughters of God, children of God. In this life and in fullness in the life to come. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans 8, 29. I want to read this in the Passion Translation. I think you've got that scripture back there. 
Paul says, for he knew all about us before we were born and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. We shall be called sons of God when we are peacemakers. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. So Jesus is saying, when you share this gospel of the kingdom, when you are a peacemaker, you will be blessed and happy in me, and I will call you a son of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, and we have arrived to the eighth beatitude. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. In Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Being persecuted for righteousness' sake means being opposed because of right living. I'm going to say that again. Being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because I don't know anybody in this room, including myself, that, that looks forward, that, that wants to be persecuted. Other than Jesus said, there is a blessing in it. Being persecuted for righteousness sake means being opposed because of right living. So let's look at the definitions of some of these other words that Jesus used here. Like the word revile. Revile means to subject to verbal abuse. Persecute means to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict. Then he said, they will utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And this means, in our language, defamation of character. Jesus said, blessed when you're persecuted, blessed when you're reviled, blessed when people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If being a peacemaker is to spread the gospel, then you can be sure that Satan is going to do whatever he can to stop us. Let's not be ignorant. Let's remember that there is an enemy Here in this text, Jesus is preparing us to expect that loyalty to him and his gospel will result in our own peace being disturbed, introducing us to the possibility of strife and warfare. We have been shielded so much in this nation. And what we have seen really in these last several years and it just seems to be intensifying is this this shield of um 
you know, of protection, of kind of being a Christian nation um, is, is kind of more, is, it's like the shield is kind of like the layers are coming off. And we're seeing more hostility towards Christ, to the, towards the gospel, to the truth of this word, so much so that, that, that there are churches, houses of faith um, all over the land that are saying, you know, some of the truth that's here in this word um, doesn't apply to us in this generation. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The thing about deception is we don't even know that we're being deceived. But you know how you can protect yourself from being deceived? Is stay in this word. Lord, your word is bread to us and we will live our lives by it. Kareem, you can come on up. The world is hostile to Christ. Paul wrote about it in Romans 8. Chapter eight, verse seven, he said, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, but there's good news. Take heart because if you're being persecuted for righteousness, you are in good company. Jesus said, for so they persecuted the prophets, which were before you. Here are a few examples that we can find in scripture. Joseph was persecuted by his brothers and down in Egypt, he was cast into prison for righteousness sake. Moses was reviled again and again. Samuel was rejected. Elijah was despised and persecuted. Nehemiah was oppressed and defamed. The Savior himself, the faithful witness of God, was put to death by the people he came to save. Stephen was stoned. Peter and John were cast into prison. James was beheaded. And the entire course of the Apostle Paul's Christian life and ministry was one long series of bitter and relentless persecutions. And I'm just being honest here. I have difficulty when someone sends a mean comment to me on social media because I post something that upholds righteousness. I want everyone to like me. If we have not already made up our minds to stand for truth in this hour... We had better make that decision quickly. We might find ourselves just like Simon Peter, denying Jesus, or bowing to the idols of Nebuchadnezzar. Y'all, I follow. Um, I follow, how many know Jackie Hill Perry? Incredible speaker, incredible teacher of the word of God. A few weeks ago, I heard her on her Instagram talking about boldness and sharing the truth of the gospel. And it was so good. So I, I'm gonna share it with you today. She was saying how we are so bound by the fear of man. We're fearful 
of what they're going to think about us or what they're going to say about us. But underneath that fear of man is a fear of suffering. Saying what scripture has to say in exalting Christ as Lord comes with a cost. So we would rather opt out of the conversations because we want to stay safe and secure. She said, this is the key. Well, and I want, I want to add this. We must share the truth with compassion. Do you know it's a lack of compassion that also keeps us from sharing truth? Because if we really loved our neighbor as we loved ourselves, we would be willing to say the hard thing in love. And there are truth tellers who are more passionate about telling the truth than doing it with compassion. And it doesn't bring glory to God. But this is the key. We must fear God more than we fear man. We must love people more than we love our own comfort so that we share truth with them. And we must love God more than we love people. (laughs) Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Persecuted me. They will also persecute you. But here's the beautiful promise that comes with persecuted and persecution. It's full circle back to the same the, the same promise of the first beatitude. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 18. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Would you remove fear from our hearts? Would you remove fear from our hearts? May we be so in love with you. So passionate. About sharing the truth of freedom through your son, Jesus. 
that we would lay our lives down just like your son laid his life down. This is the map. This is the map. These beatitudes. When the world who is lost comes looking for Jesus, may they find him when they find us. We want to be children of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, in our hearts. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I have some really good news. You know that Jesus didn't leave us alone. He sent us the Holy Spirit. So none of these things have to be done in our own strength. as the Holy Spirit continues to work in our hearts, we are made more and more into the image of Jesus. And we can only carry these virtues as we continue to carry him. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.com dot church.